Hello, everyone, and welcome to the English podcast. Um, my name's Amanda, and we are going to start episode three with a, a really hot topic issue at the moment, and that would be representation in literature. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy what we have to say. Hey, everyone, it's Goody, and I'm going to be talking about um, why representation really matters in literature using uh, an article that I read from Follett specifically. And um, some of the questions posed were really interesting. Um, why do children need to read books about things they already know? We often struggle as adults with uh, why children want to read the same books that they've read over and over and over again, or why do they want to read about things that they already know, topics they already know. And really, it is all about the connection and the connection to reading. So children need opportunities to connect with the book, to get lost in it, and to make it an all-encompassing experience. And really, the main way to do that is to have the characters represent each person. So whether that be uh, with their sexuality, with their gender identity, whether that be with their race or ethnicity or religion, any of those factors uh, are important in the immersive experience that, you know, we come to love and adore in reading ourselves. Um, there's another article by Jackson uh, that there is a sort of dual-edged sword to this, I guess, um, because many people talk about representation and it just becomes this thing that people say or this, this character is written about and, it, and they're written about to be gay, but there's no substance to it. Or they fit into the stereotypes, these tropes that we're really tired of seeing and is inauthentic. Um, so we really have to be careful while we need representation in literature and it's absolutely vital. It, it has to be authentic. You know, it has to be somebody who knows the experience and they have to be the ones to give us that information. They have to be the ones to tell the story. We shouldn't be seeing, you know, so many of these white writers write about the black experience, right? They don't know the black experience. They are looking from the outside in. Um, so we're looking for more authentic voices in this uh, representation. One of the um, one of the near and dear to my heart pieces of representation uh, is the deaf and hard of hearing community. Um, while I, I am not part of that community in the sense that I'm not deaf or hard of hearing, many of my friends and family members are. And one of the books that I recently picked up, um, The Silence Between Us by Alison Gervais, is amazing. Uh, one of the best books that I've ever read. Uh, it is YA, but still one of the, the best, most authentic pieces I've ever read. Um, she is hard of hearing and she writes about a girl and her experience going from a deaf school to um, a hearing school. And in that, she is hard of hearing herself. So she knows about the experience and uh, she is able to communicate it in such a beautiful way. Um, the character 
no sign language and she can read lips, but it shows the difficulty with um, people talking too fast or turning away from you and, and just the way she writes and shows what those missing pieces look like in the text itself is just really, really beautiful. And really, it just opened my eyes and made me much more cognizant of the way I speak and, you know, inherently made much more difficult. Uh, we live in Michigan and there are mask mandates, so much more difficult for people to communicate in general, but especially for people who, who count on things like reading lips. Um, one of the major points that I took away from this and that we need to really examine as a society, I think, is just that we really, you can't just change the book cover. You can't just change a protagonist. You, you can't just change these these pieces and expect that to be enough because it's not enough. It has to be this authentic embedded, beautiful storyline. Um, and I think that's really what we're looking for here are those authentic stories. Good morning. I'm Sarah Rogers. And today I'll be talking a bit about multicultural literature. So when I started thinking about the importance of multicultural representation, I was reminded of a wonderful TED Talk from author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie called The Danger of a Single Story. Adichie grew up in Nigeria, and in her TED Talk, she talks about her experience as an early reader and how it shaped her views. As a child, she only had access to British and American children's books. She loved them and was an avid reader, but when she began to write her own stories, all of her characters were white children with blue eyes who played in the snow and ate apples. As Adichie notes, it doesn't snow in Nigeria and her family ate mangoes, not apples. But because she had only been introduced to British and American stories, it didn't seem natural to write, uh, for her to write stories with Nigerian characters. Thankfully, uh, later in life, she discovered some wonderful African authors and was able to adjust her view of what African literature was. Um, later in her talk, she talks about her experience as a student in the U.S., how her roommate was shocked that English was the official language of Nigeria, uh, and that she listened to Mariah Carey instead of tribal music. Um, her roommate had a single story of Africa, the story of poverty, the story of a single climate of disease, the story of lions roaming around the village. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising if her roommate also thought that Africa was a country rather than a continent. Uh, every year, many of my students are shocked at the div uh, diversity of Africa. So this is problematic, but it isn't surprising because we very commonly see popular children's literature that's focused on a single culture, American culture, or maybe British culture, but that's pretty much it. So how can children form an accurate view of different cultures and regions of the globe if we're only providing them with American stories and perspectives? Furthermore, it's not enough to provide children with stories of other cultures that are written by individuals not belonging to that culture. So we need to be doing the work to find the authentic stories written by multicultural authors. Otherwise, we'll end up with the Disney multiculturalism of my childhood that is now accompanied with a warning about misrepresentations and racially insensitive material. Think Aladdin. Um, a second important issue that I wanted to quickly talk about 
is the idea of stories of prejudice in multicultural literature. So I read an article in which an educator named uh, Sarah Kirby Gonzalez made an important observation about the literature in her classroom library. Uh, Every story that centered characters of color was also centered on overcoming prejudice. So as she says, while it's of course important to study history and acknowledge the struggles of our past and present, what message was I sending my students when such a heavy focus was put on prejudice against people of color? When we read books with white main characters, we read about regular kids coming of age. I think she makes a great point here. Over the past year, I've become increasingly aware of this focus on racism-related trauma and what the effects of this might be on our students of color. I have no idea what it would feel like to only read stories of people that I can identify with being brutalized, but I would imagine that it's pretty depressing. While I think it's incredibly important to teach our students about racism and bias, I think it's equally important to provide our students with stories of joy, success, and just normal coming-of-age stories that aren't centered on prejudice and trauma. Hey, this is Ryan, and today I will be talking about representation of LGBTQ people in YA literature. Um, I actually wrote my master's thesis on this subject, so it's something that I do know a little bit about. In my thesis, I looked at books with LGBTQ characters from the 90s and very early 2000s and evaluated how they held up and if they would still be relevant to teens today, considering how much our society has shifted, mostly for the positive, on queer issues. Um, my findings were mixed, but many of the stories were somewhat outdated, either in the language used or the situations faced by queer teens. So I think discussing the history of YA queer lit would be a good place to start. The first YA novel dealing with queer issues was Spring Fire, which was published in the U.S. in 1969 at a time when homosexuality was illegal in nearly every state. According to Mir.com, the amount of YA books with queer characters has grown from roughly one per year in 1970 to about seven per year in the 90s to upwards of 50 per year today. It is interesting to look at the topics dealt with in these books because you can track the societal shifts through these books. In the early days, when homosexuality was less understood and accepted, many of these books had characters who would die or in some way be punished for their same-sex attraction. By the mid-1980s, portrayals began to shift more positively. However, the LGBTQ characters that were present were still largely middle-class, male, and white. This is unfortunately still an issue today. Many of the stories dealt with struggling to come out, struggling to find other queer people, or dealing with friends and family after coming out. Characters in these early queer books often feel one-dimensional and stereotypical. As society shifted through the early to mid-2000s, YA lit also shifted. In addition to more female, trans, and black characters, the stories also shifted from mostly coming out stories to stories about queer people who live full lives that aren't defined simply by their sexuality or gender identity. According to research published by NBC News, slightly less than half of YA queer fiction is considered genre fiction. Kayla Broherg, author of YA Thrillers and Mysteries, believes that coming out stories will always be important, but he says that genre fiction opens up a different set of possibilities for LGBTQ readers. He said, I want stories about gays in space and trans people solving mysteries, and we also need more books exploring the intersectionality of identities. 
I agree with what he said. I think that this trend is positive for several reasons. Teens will see that queer people can live full lives and do anything they want. Their queerness does not have to define every aspect of their lives and doesn't have to hold them back from doing anything they set their minds to. I also think that this trend shows um, that the societal shift uh, that we're coming out isn't as a traumatic experience for many teens today as it used to be. Hopefully the next few years we'll see more books by trans authors and queer authors of color. According to the same NBC News research, about 81% of LGBTQIA lit in 2016 featured cisgendered boys or girls as the main character. And in 2017 and 2018, only 18 young adult books were written by LGBTQ authors of color. Young people of color, like their white LGBTQ peers, need their experiences represented in books, says Carolyn Tung Richmond, a YA author and program director of We Need Diverse Books, a group that advocates for literature that reflects young adult readers. This is why Gabby Rivera doesn't shy away from discussing her background in her work. She described her novel, Juliet Takes a Breath, winner of the 2017 Silver Ippy Award for Best LGBTQ Fiction, as an offering to communities that have helped me survive and thrive. My family, the Bronx, Latina writers, queer folks, sweaty, awkward nerds, people of color, brown baby dykes, and so on. So I thought I would finish off this section by discussing a few great queer YA books that I have read recently. Um, first, we have Birthday by Meredith, Ru Meredith Russo. Um, this book was beautiful, emotional. It's uh, just an amazing book. I couldn't put it down. Um, it is the story of two boys who are born on the same day and become best friends. Um, their story is told with each section of the book being a few chapters taking place on their birthday, starting at age 13 and ending at 18. Morgan struggles with gender identity, and the readers see this unfold over the teen years. Eric and Morgan both have to sort out their feelings for each other. Um, I learned more about the trans experience from this book than anything else I've ever read. Um, I have a few students who are reading this right now as well for their independent reading, and um, they're also giving it great reviews, so really good one. Um, the next title is Cinderella is Dead. Um, this one is a really cool reimagining of the Cinderella story with a main character, Sophia, who is both black and queer. Um, I love this one because it takes the damsel in distress trope and completely turns it upside down. So if you like stories about tough women taking down the patriarchy, this one is for you. Um, and finally, um, from an author that I really love, um, it's called History is All You Left Me by Adam Silvera. And this one is about a teen dealing with grief and guilt um, over the death of his first boyfriend. Um, this one is just, wow, so emotional and heartbreaking. Um, really, really, really well written. Um, I really love that um, being gay isn't central to the story either. Um, this is really a book about grief and forgiveness. Um, the main character also struggles with OCD, and I think that aspect is handled in a really interesting and compassionate way. So I highly recommend that one. All right, that's all for me. Hey y'all, this is Brooke, and I decided to do some investigating on how to go about adding diverse text in the classroom. So there's been a call to action to transform our classroom libraries and teaching materials to include diverse text with rep representation of authors. 
However, many teachers I know are struggling with the how-to and the criteria for finding buried text. So writingmindset.org gives 10 suggestions to teachers when selecting diverse texts for your classroom. Uh, the mindset and foundation that they used is based off of a really cool infographic called um, Diverse to Whom. In this uh, infographic, it explains the percentages of books depicting characters from diverse backgrounds published in 2018. So the lowest culture was at 1%, and the most represented white culture was at 50%. In 2015, the numbers were actually worse at less than 1% at the lowest minority culture and 73.3% white representation. So there has been some work and transformation um, in the classroom, and I think that it shows there. And I think teachers are really wanting to implement more diverse texts, but asking how. So now where do teachers begin to implement these books in their classrooms? Teachers need to examine each text through the eyes of their reader. Will the text be a mirror? They see themselves in the book in the eyes of the character, their community, etc. Or is it a window to a new culture they're exposed to new experiences? And this is um, really kind of a cool mindset to have uh, when you are selecting text for your students. Are you wanting the text to be a mirror so that they see themselves represented? Or do you want to open new windows um, for their the learning of different and diverse cultures? The article from writingmindset.org titled Criteria for Choosing Diverse Text um, suggests that in some summation, the reason why we put diverse text in our classroom in order to be more responsive is that it helps our individual students meet their learning capacity, as stated by Zaretta Hammond in Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. Uh, each student needs to see themselves represented in text and needs to also see themselves not represented in text to become more aware and competent learners. Okay, so I think it's really finding a balance of those mirror and um, window selections. So the article does give like 10 suggestions and I kind of coupled some together so that it's easier to follow. So the first suggestion is consider the author. Obviously authors are able to write from different perspectives. But there's a real value in an insider perspective. Just be sure to realize that this is perspective is one of a whole community. So that one um, person, it's just their life experience. Um, you also need to look at when it was published or copyrighted. So staying current tends to lead to less stereotypes, tokenism, and invisibility, even in like the historical settings. Um, really important questions that I liked was, A, is the image historically accurate? B, does it represent people in the current context? C, is the image representing an entire group of people? D, is there only one type of character in the text? And E, are there inaccurate depictions of characters? So that's kind of a good framework for selecting. And obviously, that would be if you have read the text. Uh, also, they suggest that looking at your student's lexile, grade level for appropriate, appropriateness and maturity, obviously, um, needs to be factored in. Four, to make sure there are options for all genres and categories. Five characters um, are really essential. So do they provide students an opportunity to read both mirror and window text by looking at factors such as race, gender, sexual orientation, age, 
socioeconomic status and more. And the last one is it's really in diverse text to look at cross-curricular standards and kind of implement those. Um, I thought these were really good suggestions. And I think the most um, important is to look at having both window text, so opening your students' eyes to new cultures and having those mirror texts where their cultures are, they can find themselves in text and really relate to the book. So some really interesting stuff today. Um, Sarah and I were actually talking a little bit um, before we started recording about um, the difficulty of finding books with um, black characters that aren't like negative stories, um, which was something that she mentioned in her segment, just that a lot of the books, like even the ones that are really good, like The Hate You Give often deal with, you know, police brutality or these other terrible things happening to characters um, and not so much, you know, any joy. That is a, a great point. And I think um, right now it's big in the movies. This argument, again, do we really need another Black tragedy? Can we get something uplifting or a comedy or something positive that isn't like into these same tropes over and over again? Yeah, and it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm just looking, when we were talking, just looking through my classroom library, and I feel like a lot of the books that I recommend to students are really traumatic things happening in the books. So... Um, I hope that in the next uh, few years, maybe we start to see or find more books that kind of celebrate the Black experience instead of just making it all about, you know, racism and police brutality. Yeah, that would be so nice. And I always think about, you know, my perspective as a white educator, how those novels affect me as a reader, as opposed to how they affect my students. Like, I know it's not the same reading experience because I don't identify as a person of color, you know. Um, like for me, they're depressing, but I don't think it's the same effect as my students. It's kind of like, you know, what I had mentioned in my section where it's, you know, the YA queer books are kind of changing to make it so it's not centering the whole personality or the whole story around their sexuality. And it's sort of the same thing, right? The whole story doesn't need to be centered around someone's race. They just happen to be a black person. And here's the story, you know, and those are the ones that I think are kind of lacking, right? Yeah. I don't it would also be nice to have characters, black characters that don't fit that like monolithic, but you know, like basketball, hip hop, you know, the same, mm -hmm. same, same. Like I want the black characters who are into anime, like my students in my classroom, you know, uh, or whatever other weird nerdy stuff. I feel like this year our freshmen are more into anime than uh, oh. any class I've seen before. All of their pictures on our virtual classes are anime pictures. I just had no idea that they love were anime. anime. <laughs> I know we need more anime books. <laughs> I I'm sure you guys have experienced this too. Um, when we're reading, like for instance, we read Parable of the Sower and by Octavia Butler, and love that book. Same. And we're we're going through it and we're reading it, and almost every year, without doubt, I'll say something, and they'll go, "Wait, these characters are black. They don't sound black." There's right to this like stereotyping of it. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, this this book is pretty much all black people. Like, <laughs> and there's just it's just you could see 
the the visualizations just change in in their face of oh okay one of the books that I mentioned, the uh, Cinderella is Dead book, um, the main character is black. And it's not really, you wouldn't really know. There's like one or two parts in the story where they mention like, you know, she had cocoa colored skin or something. But generally, it's not an issue in the story. She just happens to be black, which was, you know, kind of refreshing. Not only, you know, a queer character of color, but also it was kind of a fairy tale, which you often don't see people of color in fairy tales. So um, that was an interesting book. I liked it. Yeah, I'm very excited to see where like I feel like it takes obviously we can't just be like oh we want this literature and like somebody's just like oh okay here it is um it obviously takes time but I'm I'm just wondering how fast you know this can happen you know like how can we find these books who's creating these what when can we have them I want it now I'm an American I demand it (laughs) (laughs) right yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because so much has happened in the last year, you know, year, two years with the, you know, all of the Black Lives Matter protests and the pandemic. And it'll be interesting to see how all of those things kind of affect the literature that comes out over the next few years, especially YA. I mean, mostly what I read a lot of the time is YA anyways. So I'm calling it now. I'm saying there's going to be more um, trauma stories, but they're going to be centered around quarantining in a pandemic. Yeah, I think, think we're going to so? get a lot of quarantine stories, all yeah. sorts of takeoffs on people being quarantined and um, yeah. yeah, a lot more dystopian kind of story. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion for today. So we will be back uh, next month. What's our uh, topic for next month? Next month, we're going to talk about our favorite resources. Awesome. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, guys.